Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from our slightly unique perspective. Don't you just love the idea of tweaking your aquariums from time to time? You know, working with new ideas that might create some different outcomes in an existing tank or even just starting new tanks completely with crazy different ideas and running with them. I guess it's just sort of my personal process. Like many of you, I'm constantly iterating or or in our language, evolving my aquariums to embrace new ideas, new concepts, or even just aesthetics, which I think would push the state of the art of botanical style aquariums down the road a bit. Lately, I've been thinking about, for example, an even more realistic-looking and functioning flooded forest-themed aquarium, something we're seeing more and more of, in, you know, of our community play with. And part of my experimentation has been playing with the different substrate compositions, depths, and particle sizes. And while playing with those ideas, I've been thinking you know, through further refinements of the deep botanical bed-sand-substrate relationship. I've been spending a lot of time researching the natural systems and contemplating how we can translate some of this stuff into our closed system aquaria. Now, I realize when contemplating really deep aggregations of substrate materials in the aquarium that we're dealing with closed systems and the dynamics which affect them are way different than those in nature for the most part. And I realize that experimenting with these unusual substrates and configurations requires not only a sense of adventure, a direction, and some discipline, but a willingness to accept and deal with an entirely different aesthetic than what we know and love. And this includes pushing into areas and ideas which might make us uncomfortable, not just for the way they look, but for what we are told might be possible risks. One of the things that many hobbyists ponder when we contemplate creating these deep botanical heavy substrates consisting of leaves, sand, and other botanical materials is the buildup of hydrogen sulfide, CO2, and other undesirable compounds within the substrate. Well, it does make sense if you have a large amount of decomposing material in an aquarium that some of these compounds are going to accumulate in a heavily active substrate. Now, the big boogeyman that we all seem to zero in on in our sum of all fear scenarios is hydrogen sulfide, which results from bacterial breakdown of organic matter in the total absence of oxygen. Let's think about this for just a second. In a botanical bed with materials placed on the substrate or loosely mixed into the top layers, will it really all pack down enough to the point where there is a complete lack of oxygen and we develop a significant amount of this reviled compound in our tanks? I think that we're more likely to see some oxygen in this layer of materials, and I can't help but speculate, and it is just speculation, that even actual denitrification, nitrate reduction that is, which lowers nitrates while producing free nitrogen, might actually be able to occur in a deep botanical bed. And it's certainly possible to have denitrification without dangerous, dangerous hydrogen sulfide levels. As long as even very small amounts of oxygen and nitrates can penetrate into the substrate, this will not become an issue for most systems. 
In fact, I have yet to see a botanical-style aquarium where the materials become so compacted as to appear to have no circulation whatsoever within the botanical layer. Now, sure, I'm no scientist, and I base this on close visual inspection of numerous aquariums and the basic chemical tests I've run on my systems under a variety of circumstances. As one who's made it a point to keep my botanical-style aquariums in operation for very extended time frames, I think this is significant. The bad side effects we're talking about should manifest over these larger time frames, and they just haven't. And then there's the question of nitrate again. You know, although nitrate's not the terror and, uh, you know, that ammonia and nitrate, nitrite are known to be, uh, it's something that eventually fish can suffer some health issues from accumulations of. Ideally, we strive to keep our nitrate levels no higher than, say, 5 to 10 parts per million in, you know, our aquariums. As a reef aquarist, I've been, you know, always sort of been of the keep it as close to zero as possible mindset. But that's not always the most realistic or achievable target in a heavily botanical-laden aquarium. You have a bit more wiggle room, in my humble opinion. Now, when you start creeping towards, say, 50 parts per million, you're getting closer to a number that should alert you. It's not a big stretch from 50 to 75 ppm or higher. And when you get towards that range where health issues can manifest themselves in your fishes, that's something to worry about. Now, many fishes will not show any symptoms of nitrate poisoning until the nitrate level reaches 100 parts per million or even higher. However, studies have shown that long-term exposure to concentrations of nitrate stresses fishes, making them more susceptible to disease, affecting their growth rates, and inhibiting the spawning in many species. We've talked about that before. Uh, at, At those really high nitrate levels, fishes will become noticeably lethargic, and they may have other issues that are obvious upon visual inspection, like open sores or reddish blotches on their skin. And then you've got those mysterious fish deaths, and then the sudden death, essentially from shock, of newly added fishes to the aquarium, because they're just simply not acclimated to the higher nitrate concentrations that are present like the existing fishes are. Okay, that's scary stuff. However, high nitrate concentrations are not only manageable, there's something that's completely avoidable in our aquariums. And quite honestly, even in the most heavily botanical-laden systems I've played with, I've personally never seen a higher nitrate reading than around like five parts per million. I attribute this to common sense stuff, good quality source water, or using reverse osmosis or deionization, so no nitrate to speak of to begin with. Careful stocking of my tanks, Careful feeding, good circulation, and consistent basic husbandry practices. You know, water changes, filter maintenance, etc. And this is just me. I'm no scientist, I'm certainly not a chemist, but I do have a basic understanding of maintaining a healthy nitrogen cycle in my aquariums. And I'm a habitual, perhaps even obsessive person when it comes to water changes and maintenance. Water exchanges are not a, oh, when I get to it thing in my aquarium management playbook. They're just baked into my practice or who I am. So yeah, although nitrate is a concern in a botanical-style aquarium, it need not be this ominous cloud hanging over our success. In my opinion, the far more problematic issues with botanicals and water quality are related to lapses in our own good judgment and to misguided practices. Experience with our customer base tends to confirm this, too. The very few issues that we've seen with people pushing it too far in terms of botanical applications were generally caused by rapid influxes of large quantities of botanical materials to an existing stable aquariums, which I believe overwhelmed the resident bacterial population and might have resulted in a rapid oxygen depletion and a corresponding increase in carbon dioxide. The result was fishes hanging at the surface in an attempt to get oxygen. 
The good news was that almost every situation like this that I heard of was remedied in a relatively short period of time by adding additional aeration in the tank, a series of small water exchanges, and removing some of the materials. Generally, the loss of life was minimal. That's an awful term. I, I, I get it. Or even non-existent as a result of these issues and the measures taken to correct them. Regardless, it's really important to be careful when applying botanicals to our aquariums. Fish can die if we push it too hard. It's not just boil, dump, and boom, instant Amazon. Measured implementation and experimentation is required when using botanicals. You have to think with this stuff. You have to prepare it like we talked about. You have to think of the overall context of your aquarium. We're often adding biological materials to established aquariums, which simply might not be able to handle large, fast influxes of this stuff. This is common sense. We're not talking about miraculous things. We're not talking about, you know, this will solve all your problems. We have to take some personal responsibility when we experiment with this stuff. Problems can happen. Now, there's obviously some upper limit, you know, of how much botanical material we can add to a given established system in a brief period of time. And it's essentially more profound in a newly established aquarium with the immature nutrient export mechanism in place. That makes sense, right? Typically, most botanical-powered systems tend to run trouble-free, especially when you understand what's going on, know what to expect, you know, decomposing leaves, biofilms, etc., and have mechanisms in place to accommodate them. Now, this is not to say that you can't have some disasters if you go too hard and too fast with lots of botanicals in a closed system. It just makes sense, right? You're adding materials which will decompose in the water. And if adequate nutrient export systems are not in place to deal with it, you could have some problems. This isn't some new revelation. It's something we've been talking about here for a long time. And it's common sense. It's Aquarium Keeping 101, really. However, it's important to bring up the potential dark side of botanical aquariums now and again. Because more and more hobbyists are starting to experiment with this stuff or get into it. And I tell you this, I, I believe this from the bottom of my heart. Most of you are great and you, you study, you read, you think. But for those of you that just, I will literally get texts saying, oh, I want to use botanicals in my aquarium. Do I add them all at once? I mean, for God's sake, I have, f I don't know, 500 articles here on every aspect I could think of. Some so totally obscure about botanicals in our aquariums. Please, please, please make use of the resources on this site. Look at the discussions in our community. Look at our, you know, uh, uh, the blogs. Look at some of the articles I've had in other magazines. Think, listen to our podcast. But please don't just mail it in. Don't just, you know, say I'm just going to, you know, listen to such and such or uh, do, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to him and ask him how to do it. We have instructions. We have information. If you're going to be into some specialty like this or any type of specialty, you have to do some of your own research. I know this sounds like a little scolding, but. We all deserve it once in a while, even myself. Um, you know, we just have to understand if we're going to play in a specialty area, we should really make it a point to understand the specialty. This is not, you know, anything that you haven't experienced with planted aquariums, reef tanks, breeding cichlids or betas or whatever. You have to do some of your own work. And that's fun too, right? So what kind of things can we do to prevent the problems like the aforementioned, you know, disasters with by adding too much stuff well for one thing we can add botanical materials gradually at a slow and steady pace we've talked about this a million times here what this does is it gives our bacteria population in the aquarium a chance to catch up with the influx of all these new materials being added also it'll slow down the pace of any ph fluctuations assuming we are utilizing stuff that can lower the ph in our tanks and that the water is malleable in other words um, it is 
uh, of, of low carbonate hardness uh, so that the fishes can adjust to them. Again, it's common sense. It's best practice for us. Another thing would be to employ good circulation within your system, which not only results in greater oxygenation and mixing of the water strata, it physically suspends fine particulates in your aquariums as well, making it easier for mechanical filtration to remove. Of course, that assumes you don't like the look of the stuff in the water, as some of us do. Okay, so I, I meandered a bit, but back to the substrate thing again. Relatively shallow sand beds seem to be optimal for denitrification. We've studied this in the reef aquarium for a long time. There's a lot of work on that. And many of us employ them for the aesthetics as well. Uh, I say many of us that don't keep plants, for example. Light vacuuming of those top layers to remove any potential dead spots or you know compacted areas. It's always a, a good practice, in my opinion. Any debris that you stir up can easily be removed mechanically by filtration, as mentioned above. And I know we've talked about detritus and mulm many times and you all probably know my uh my thinking on that stuff but um you know read up if you're if you're not sure and of course you don't have to go crazy siphoning the hell out of your sand bed every week or your substrate in general essentially you know what you do then is you're, you're decimating the populations of the very beneficial microscopic infauna or interfering with their function in the process we don't want that now i think one of the most liberating things we've seen in these blackwater botanical style aquariums is our practice of utilizing the substrate itself to become a feature aesthetic point in our aquariums, as well as a functional mechanism for its inhabitants. In other words, in a strictly aesthetic sense, the biofilm, uh, excuse me, the biofilm, well, biofilm too, but the bottom, the substrate itself, becomes a big part of the aesthetic focus of the aquarium, with the botanicals placed on the substrate, or in some cases, becoming the substrate. These materials form an attractive, texturally varied microscape of their own, creating color, interest, and functions that we're just starting to appreciate. In fact, I dare say that one of the next frontiers in our niche would be an aquarium which is just substrate materials without any vertical relief provided by wood or rocks. I've executed a few aquariums based on this idea, specifically with leaves, and I've been extremely happy with their long-term performance. Oh, and they kind of look cool, too. Not everybody's cup of tea, but something you might want to play with. I literally did an aquarium of just leaves. I've had pictures of that up before, and very interesting concept. I think I'm going to do it again. Now, nature provides no shortage of habitats with unusual substrate compositions for inspiration. If we look at them in the context of the surrounding terrestrial ecosystems, there are a lot of possible functional takeaways that we as hobbyists can apply to our aquarium work. And the interesting thing about these features from an aesthetic standpoint is that they create an incredibly alluring look with a minimal amount of design required on you, the hobbyist part, which some people don't like. Some people want to do the design. But remember, you can put together a substrate with a perfect aesthetic mix of colors and textures, but that's about it. We have to seed some of the work to nature at that point. Once your substrate's in place, nature takes over, and the materials develop that you know patina of biofilms and the microbial growth, and they start breaking down. Some of the stuff gets moved about by the grazing activities of the resident fishes, or otherwise it's slowly redistributed around the aquarium by, you know, currents and, and uh, uh, other activities that we perform, uh, that we engage in in the aquarium, like maintenance and algae scraping, stuff like that. A literally active substrate, and indeed, right? <laughs> Yet something that is fascinating and beautiful for those who give it a shot. I, I laugh really hard because uh, we, we often hear the term active substrate, particularly in the vivarium world, and I guess... Our, our substrates are definitely active, but when they're moving around, they're physically active as well. So that just made me laugh. Like things I geek out on are pretty scary. 
So it's a big aesthetic shift in the hobby, but it goes well beyond just the aesthetics. I mean, sure, we've done hardscapes before with wooden stones dominating the scape. Aesthetics are great. They create alluring aquariums. However, our tanks have placed far more emphasis on the functional aspects of the botanical materials we use. The aesthetics just sort of go with the territory. And again, there's that mental shift we have to make, but it's more about function than anything else. Yeah, that function part of the equation. Much like in the wild aquatic habitats of the world, the materials that we place on the bottom of the aquarium will become an active, integral part of the ecosystem. From a functional standpoint, substrates comprised of various grades of sands, muds, and silts, supplemented with a variety of you know, botanical materials, form a sort of in-tank refugium, if you don't know that word, look it up, which allows small aquatic crustaceans, fungi, and other microorganisms to multiply and provide potentially supplemental food for our aquariums as we've touched on before just like in nature they become not only physical places for our fishes to hide and forage among they become an integral part of the closed aquatic ecosystem itself helping influence the water parameters foster the growth of nitrate and nutrient processing fungi and microorganisms and just maybe some form of nutrient export and denitrification Although the last part's a bit speculative, I think there's evidence to believe that some form of denitrification takes place within a deep bed of botanicals. Of course, there's nothing saying that you can't incorporate the best of both worlds to create aquariums which offer our fishes and our plants, you know, optimum environmental conditions in which to grow and multiply. As we play more and more with botanicals, we're finding out about more unique ways to work with interesting materials to create a substrate-centric systems that sort of check all the boxes, you know, Functionality, interests, aesthetics, stability. We've just scratched the surface about the functional aesthetics created by botanicals in the aquarium. This is, you know, we're four years into this and we're still just playing around with this stuff. And the potential for add, you know, ad adding additional biological support or even filtration and potentially even denitrification is a big, big topic with lots to be explored, lots to be discovered, and lots of ideas to be deployed into our aquariums. So flirting with that substrate-centric tank is just one of those tantalizing at first seemingly awkward, yet ultimately transformational little projects that we can play with. And again, there's the use of aquatic plants, something that we're seeing more and more in, in botanical-style aquariums. I'm even playing with them. That's saying something, right? In fact, it's becoming a real standard in our world, as it should be, as it realistically represents many of the wild habitats from which our fishes hail. In terms of impact on the substrate, it's a known fact that plants remove ammonia directly and typically will prevent the anaerobic conditions that, you know, that promote the production of the hydrogen sulfide within the substrate itself. So there's many practical benefits to including them in our botanical-style aquariums, isn't there? So in summary, the simple practice of adding botanical stuff into our aquariums is not some high-concept thing. I get that. However, the impacts of water chemistry and overall aquatic environment you know, manipulation, not to mention on our fishes, are very profound. They're fascinating and they're real. You know, being careful and taking the time to clean, prepare, and add botanicals to your aquarium in a measured manner always yields a better outcome. We've talked about that a hundred billion times here. <laughs> Going slowly also gives you the opportunity to address any issues that you might have before they become critical, especially when you're experimenting with some of these ideas. It just makes sense to be patient. The rewards are so great. You know, we as an enthusiastic and engaged global community have slowly and carefully taken the concept of a blackwater botanical style aquarium out of that carnival sideshow thing into an evolving legitimate practice, and we're achieving significant results with our fishes. 
we continuously see reports of dramatic fish health improvements, spawning of delicate species, and we've seen this wonderful realistic representation of nature in a different way. And even, yes, we've experienced an occasional tragedy or two on some very rare occasions. And I think from each, we've realized that we've learned. And we recognize that we're all part of a greater whole. Now, the world we're, you know, the work we're doing will benefit the generations of Aquarius who follow us. And, and hopefully they'll apply what we're learning in ways that we probably haven't even contemplated yet. Thinking about things like botanical infused substrates, uh, it's just one way to push the state of the art along, right? Yeah, it's a hobby evolution from the bottom up. And I'm glad to have you in the mix. So stay creative, stay enthusiastic, stay bold, stay curious, stay engaged, and always stay wet. Thanks again for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint. <laughs>